I've got gifted kids this year. And so those kids are going through those. I'm creating my own this year, you know, spending time creating new ones. And again, though, but I'm spending all this time doing this. How do I get my life back? (laughs) You know, I want to give my kids all these opportunities and I want to give them these great things and I want their scores to be fantastic. But I also you're listening to Lisa Geggy, a teacher and self-proclaimed perfectionist and a brave, caring human being. We spoke with Lisa, who admits that she herself struggles with math at times, but adds that struggle gives her a unique advantage, and that's what drives her dedication to help her students overcome those struggles. Lisa, like many of us, spends countless hours of after-school time, weekends, and evenings planning her lessons and activities for her students' benefit. She's been eating, sleeping, breathing, math lessons, and she wants to desperately know how to help her students and get her own life back. Listen into this math mentoring moment with Lisa as we talk about prioritizing our time, how to go slow so we can go fast, and how being intentional with our choices will help our students learn at a deeper level. Stick around as you'll hear Lisa develop a plan for herself on how she can move forward. All right, play that wonderful intro music. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of educators worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to episode number 20, Restoring Balance in Your Life. A Math Mentoring Moment with Lisa Geggy. Before we dive into our talk with Lisa, we want to thank you for listening to us wherever you are. In the car, gym, in the kitchen washing dishes, or maybe on your prep time. If you've listened to us before and enjoyed the episode and got some value out of it, we'd love to hear about it. Take a quick moment. Write a short review on iTunes. Your review will help the show make it to the ears of other educators. Here's a short review from Chris Elisa on iTunes. I love to listen to this podcast. John and Kyle's love of math is contagious. I listen to their podcast episodes every morning when I drive to school, most of them a few times already, making sure I have not missed some good ideas to improve my math instruction. It's reviews like this or tweets back to us or posts on Facebook that give us more motivation to keep these podcasts going. Knowing that we're helping teachers make math moments that matter is just music to our ears. All right, let's jump into our conversation with Lisa Geggy and how she will claim her time back. Well, we are here with Lisa Geggy, and Lisa's got some challenges that uh, she's been working through, and we want to chat with her about those. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Why don't we start off the way we always start off our mentoring moments. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your teaching story? What's your journey? I am in my 24th year of teaching. I spent 17 of those years in first grade. I spent two of those years as my district math coach, which I absolutely loved. I loved, loved, loved that job. Eventually, I see myself going back to that type of job. And then I've spent five years in fourth grade, which I've also really loved. I guess I didn't realize how much I would love being in an older grade level until I actually spent time doing it. I couldn't see myself doing anything above six-year-olds until I actually did it. So I'm glad I did that. Our buildings moved to grade level centers this year. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't know how your buildings are set up. No, Yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah, fill us in on that. Our buildings have always been set up with kindergarten through fifth grade all in one building. And this year, our buildings were moved to kindergarten, first grade, and second grade in one building, third graders and fourth graders in another building, and then fifth graders in their own building. They share the building with preschoolers as well, but its majority is just fifth grade. And I'm teaching in the 3-4 building. And so we mainly have a pretty big focus on our state testing. So again, I don't know how your buildings work with that, but we have a testing, it's called the air testing that happens in the spring. And that's pretty much where our main focus is starting in January. So we spend a lot of time with that. Let's see, what else? I absolutely love what I'm doing, except for the stress of testing. I absolutely hate that we get into that hole of 
okay, guys, it's January. Now we have to really focus in on our testing skills, getting ready to get that, that big test out of the way at the end of April. And I think probably my biggest flaw is that I'm a huge perfectionist. And that's probably where my big problem comes from that I wrote to you about. I can't let things go. I have to have it exactly perfect. So that's pretty much my story. Thank you for sharing with us. Sorry, did you mention whereabouts are you from? Where are you coming in from? I'm from Wilmington, Ohio. It's kind of about halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati in the middle of a corner. That's like uh, I-75, Correct. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. We're we're just a hop, skip and a jump from, we're probably what, John, four hours from Columbus. Yep. We're just sort of Southeast of Detroit in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. So we're not too far away. And I actually, I was in Ohio last week up in Sandusky doing a little bit of uh, Castaway Bay with the family and some friends. So yeah. So uh, small world. Yeah. We're wondering, you know, you've mentioned a few things here. So a very like interesting organization of how now your board's like was a K through five school. Now it's like separate buildings. Like are these different buildings on the same property or are they actually like physically in different locations? They're physically in different locations. Each of the buildings that our grade levels are housed in used to be our individual K through five buildings. So the building that I currently teach in used to be a K through five building. And ironically, it was the building that I taught in all of my years that I've been here. I'm one of the few teachers that didn't get moved out of the building that they were in. So like this building used to be a K-5 building. They've just reorganized the structure of the grade levels. And then they just placed all of the grades three and four kids in this building then. Interesting. And uh, about how many students in your building anyway? About between 230 and 240 students. Okay. That's a good size. Yeah. Good size. Not bad size. And you mentioned state testing. So Ohio, uh, Common Core State or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Common Core State and then the air testing is sort of the state, I guess, version of the standardized tests that helps to determine whether students are achieving or not, I suppose. Right. Absolutely. Well, before we uh, go deeper in there, we're wondering, why did you want to become a teacher? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, early on, uh, what inspired you to want to get into education, into teaching in the first place? It's funny. So many people have asked me that in the 24 years that I've been a teacher. And it's funny because I answer it the same way. I absolutely have no idea. I wanted to be a vocal and instrumental performer when I started my career choices when I was probably in elementary school. And then I realized the older I got that that's probably not going to be a realistic goal as a professional and even just as a person who needs to like feed my family. Most people in life cannot be a performer and have enough money to survive on. So I decided, you know, well, maybe I'll be a music teacher. I love to sing and I love to dance. Those might be things I would be good at. And then I went away to college and I looked at being a really small fish in a really big pond and thought, wow, I thought I was pretty good at this, but maybe not as good as I thought. And then I kind of got connected with a group of, I don't know, they were puppet players, but a lot of them were hard of hearing and they did a lot of different kinds of puppetry and things for students that had multiple disabilities. And I kind of got caught up in that group and figured out that there were ways to be a teacher as well as a performer and decided that that might be something that I was really interested in. And so I got involved in that and decided that being a teacher would be kind of fun. So I've always been a caregiver, a babysitter. I love to explain things to others. used to play school as a child. I mean, I don't know any teachers that didn't used to do that. So when my music decision didn't pan out, I guess teaching just seemed the most logical second step. So it's always just been the right fit. You know how it just feels right and you just kind of know that that's what you're supposed to do. So for 24 years, it just feels right and it'll probably just be right until it's time to move on. Your story relates to me a good amount in the sense that I guess in two ways. One is I bounced around before I settled down on what I really wanted to do. You know, I was in this program at school and then I changed to this program and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, even though I came from a family of educators. My dad is a math teacher. You know, I I wasn't sure. And the second thing that resonates for me is, you know, it sounds like 
you with your performance background here, like teaching is a little bit of performance too. And I think that what we're trying to do lately is try to not perform for our students, but, you know, spark that curiosity for our students. And sometimes we have to put on a little bit of a show to do that. Like I got to definitely come into the classroom with high energy even though I might not feel like it. Otherwise, no one in my class is going to even want to be there. So I definitely have to put on that performance from my students just so that they feel welcome. Do they feel like they're in a place they would choose to be, even if they could, didn't uh, have to be there? This is a common question we have to ask everybody. Uh, Lisa, what is your most memorable moment from math class? So this could be a memorable moment as a teacher, but also think back to you as a student what would be that memorable moment that just pops in your memory when you bring up the words math class? Well, it's hilarious. If you were to ask my mother when I was, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16 years old, will your daughter ever be a math teacher? My mother would have said, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? She's the worst math student you will ever meet in your entire life. If you were to ask her as a college student or a high school student, will your daughter ever be a math teacher? She would have said, are you kidding me? That's a joke. She will never be a math teacher. She's terrible at math. And then it's ironic that I ended up being, I'm departmentalized. So I teach math to all of the fourth graders that come through. I don't teach any other subjects, no language arts or anything. I only teach math. And I think that's probably why I'm good at what I do because I struggled with math for so long that it makes me more aware of those kids that struggle. And so in the past, I've always had very low math students and not even low achieving math students, but math students that just take a long amount of time to understand multiple repetitions. And so probably my most memorable math moment was last year's group of kids. Last year was a tough, tough group of kids. They had so many baggage things that they brought with them that I wasn't prepared to deal with all the time and they weren't either. They made some days really, really hard, not because they made it hard on me, but hard emotionally to hear things that they were bringing with them. We have a very high free and reduced lunch population. So, you know, it's a pretty low income group, not everybody, but it's overall a pretty high low income group. But there were so many great moments with them. I know that if you talk to any fourth grade teacher and you ask them, what is your least favorite thing to teach? It's long division. (laughs) And (laughs) giggle, giggle, because that's everybody's nod and winks, you know, thing. They're like, gosh, long division. And I thought I had covered just about every way possible to do this. And, you know, I'm asking on Twitter, how do you do this? I'm asking on Facebook, what do you do? I'm asking in every blog that I could possibly ask, what is something different? I am a 24-year veteran teacher. How am I still trying to figure out some new way to teach math? And so finally I said, they must be finished listening to me. If you had to listen to me for 180 days in a row, maybe they're done listening to me. So I paired them up. I ranked them one, twos, threes, and fours. I paired the fours with the twos and the threes with the ones, and I gave them a problem. And I said, fours, teach. And I had the fours teach the twos and I had the threes teach the ones. And i made them do that three or four times. And then I gave them a new problem and I flipped it around and I made those ones teach the threes and I made those twos teach the fours. And I stood in the middle of my classroom and cried. They were doing it. And it was just, and there, I didn't do anything other than give them a math problem on the board. And those kids were teaching each other how to do it. And it was just because it wasn't me. And when I asked them at the end of the class period, I'm like, so what was the difference? Why was it different when that kid was teaching you to do it and I was teaching you to do it? And they just said, it was a kid. Those kids were talking in a different language than you were. I had no words. I mean, I'm almost crying right now. It was the best feeling ever. Yeah, it sounds so powerful. Yeah. You mentioned also going back uh, to your mother saying that she wouldn't have pictured you becoming a math teacher. And, you know, we've mentioned this on a few previous episodes about there's a little bit of an advantage there when you didn't 
have the math sort of come to you naturally. You know, some people say it just clicks. And I often wonder whether is it really clicking or is it just that you have a good memory and you see patterns and you can follow those patterns, but do you really understand what's going on there? And for those who have a little bit more of that struggle, I feel like those are the students who have a thirst for that conceptual understanding. Like they actually have to understand how this is working. They're not going to be able to just follow steps and procedures. So that's a really interesting story. And sometimes, you know, even though you might have had some struggles when you were in school with mathematics when you were younger, but at the same time, even then, even though you have that advantage, so you have probably that empathy, you know, you understand where students are coming from. There is something very different about the language that students use when they're at the same sort of developmental level than we as adults do, because we have that curse of knowledge. There's so much that we just know to be true now that it's really difficult for us to unpack how those things actually work. So I think that's a really cool strategy to get kids to actually have to be kind of reflective and think about, well, how is this working? If I have to explain it to another student, then I can't just show them the steps. I'm going to have to actually try to convince them somehow. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. It was a really fun day. And I have like that moment, I don't think will ever leave me. Just the look on their faces. It was just, it was a really fun day. In all of my 24 years, I think that was probably the best day I've ever had in math class. I know here in uh, Ontario, we teach long division in grade five. And it's just the idea of division in general can be really, really challenging, partially because you know, for us, we might not realize how it works and in the ins and outs of it. It's, it's only been recently that I actually reflected on the fact that there was two different types of division. And oftentimes when we introduce dividing and division to students early on, we usually do so through fair sharing, which is also called partitive division. And that's something like, you know, there's 27 candies and there's three kids. So I have to split those 27 candies into three different groups to see how many each kid gets. But then as soon as we cross the line to this long division land, oftentimes without knowing, we flip to a different type of division. We flip to quotative division, the gazinta. How many times does three candies go into 27? So what the result is, is actually how many students you'd be able to give three candies to. And even some of that, I wonder if, you know, when teachers constantly talk about how long division is sort of their big struggle, I wonder if we tend to the two types of division, whether there might be a, a little bit of a bridge there and playing in some of the concrete land a little longer before we head into some of that abstract land, whether that might serve a little bit of a purpose for some of the students. I did do a lot more with base 10 blocks this year than I've ever done for that reason. This group of kids seemed to need more and just reading a lot more about that this year. I didn't, I guess I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. I guess I didn't really even think that there were two different types of division and not really understanding that until I did more reading on it, seeing that and understanding it myself, letting them have that time to go through the manipulative stage and then letting them go through that more abstract stage until they go through and can actually put it down on paper with numbers that really helped them a lot more this year. And I guess them understanding it a lot more came from me taking a lot more time, letting them go from concrete to pictorial to abstract 
that helped a lot this year. Yeah, no, for me, those are my big aha moments. And I want to tip my hat to you for, uh, you know, we all have so much work to do in understanding how math develops and, you know, how we move through the developmental trajectories. So I think it's great that you're where you are and you're continuing to learn along your journey. And I think that's all that matters. When we know better, we do better. And we all have so much to learn along the way. So why don't we continue along here? So what's on your mind lately? What struggles or challenges have you been experiencing along your teaching journey? So what did you want to chat with us about today uh, so we can unpack it together and see if we can come up with some plans or strategies? Well, I mentioned earlier that I am and always have been a perfectionist. And I am not judged based on my testing scores, but in my own mind, I am judged on my testing scores. I'm very proud of the fact that I do very well. I push my kids very, very hard throughout the school year. And I've always been a teacher that is very proud of her scores for her children. You know, my kids do really well year after year after year on those tests. And not because they're really good for 70 minutes for two days, but because I feel like I can give them a lot of opportunities. You know, I was listening to episode five last night. I think it was last night. And, you know, Nicole was talking about, she uses estimation 180. She was using Steve Wyborny. She was talking about Dan Meyer. She was talking about these different things. And I'm thinking, I'm Xing them out in my mind. I'm like, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. And listening to her, I was thinking, you know, she and I are almost the same person. Like the things that she was doing, she was talking about using the estimistries. Those are things that I use too. And in fact, I'm having my kids right now create their own because those are the kinds of things that I love to have my kids do. And that's part of my problem. How do I simplify those things? How can I get some of my time back? I'm spending hours, like we're going to say 12 to 14 hours on Sundays, lesson planning, one to two days after work, like after school for maybe three or four hours until maybe eight or nine o'clock at night after school working. I come into school at like 7.30, like an hour before my contract time every day. So I'm spending like 20 to 24 additional hours every single week planning and making and finding and organizing and creating and searching and putting together resources for the week. And I think the most frustrating part is that my scores went down this past year, you know, so I feel like I'm working and working and working and working and working and I've got all these great things and I'm not disorganized. You know, if you look at my room, everything is tidy and organized and put together, but it's so many good ideas and so many cool things and so many of those experiences that I want to give to my kids. You know, there's not enough hours in my day. And I think every teacher will tell you that I have a 70, nope, 90 minute math block this year. I had 70 minutes last year, 90 minute math block this year. And it is pretty well organized. I mean, I listened to you last night, talk to Nicole, and I know you recorded hers a long time ago, but I listened to you talk to her about reorganizing kind of that time and being really mindful of how you use that time. And you talked about the three act math tasks. That's what I presented at the Ohio math conference on. And that's something that I am so passionate about. And I do those very frequently, almost one a week or more, sometimes a little bit less, like right now with the holidays and not doing that for your whole class period, but adding it in, you know, spending about 40 minutes at a time on those I've got gifted kids this year, and so those kids are going through those. I'm creating my own this year, you know, spending time creating new ones. And again, though, but I'm spending all this time doing this. How do I get my life back? <laughs> you know, I want to give my kids all these opportunities, and I want to give them these great things, and I want their scores to be fantastic. But I also want to spend time with my family, and I also want to make sure that my uh, laundry is caught up and <laughs> all the things that I, I want to be able to do in my own life. So how do I get everything done? I think that's a huge, a huge issue. I think so many teachers are facing that, especially in today's connected world, we're seeing so many great ideas out there and more than ever before, like when I first got into teaching, that didn't exist. That connection with other teachers across the globe to see what's going on in their classroom 
was not an option. It was you saw what was going on in your department or your school, and then it was more manageable. But I totally relate with the I'm seeing so many great things. I want to include all of them into my classroom. And I see that struggle. And I think we have some ideas that we can share with you because I've gone through that situation and I've got some suggestions. But before we we dive into that, what have you tried so far to, like you recognize that this is a struggle for you. So what have you done or what have you tried successfully or maybe even unsuccessfully so far to address this issue of yours? <laughs> with everybody, or I guess. Ours, everybody's. Well, sometimes I've tried to do like share the load, offering you know, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me with other teachers. And sometimes that's hard, especially when, again, I hate to admit it, and any teacher that I work with would say the same thing. Well, Lisa, you're just too particular. You want it done a certain way. And it's absolutely the truth. You know, I ask somebody to do something and then I end up changing it or doing it differently because it wasn't the way I wanted it done. And they'll nod and smile at me and they're like, well, you're just going to do it over anyway. So why do you want me to do it? So, you know, sharing it or asking somebody else to do it. And so it's been kind of unsuccessful like that. You know, I've tried to do like this year, my sister-in-law helped me start something with HyperDocs. My kids have been doing HyperDocs in my classroom. And so that's freed up time for me to be able to go through and kind of level out kids and let them do different things. But again, I'm spending a ton of time creating those and leveling those and giving those opportunities to do those cool things online. So there again, I'm spending all that extra time outside of class so that I've got class time that's free to do things with kids. And then like finding three act tasks, I'm finding those outside of time. I'm giving those to kids to do. So I have time during class to spend with them. So I'm still doing all that stuff outside of class instead of finding things. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, have I done anything any better? I feel like I'm doing more and more and more rather than less and less and less. You know, easily I can say I found a lot of good websites that have given me things like going to lots of three act task things are out there now, like tap into teen minds. I've used a ton because I can adapt it for my gifted kids. I can adapt it for my kids that take a little bit more time. Steve Wiborny, I don't know how he can give 5,000 different things and how does he do that for free? Good grief. This guy, does he have nothing better to do? I love him. But he gives like... I wonder if he will be on the podcast one day with the same challenge of how do I get my life back? How do I get my time back? Because this guy is amazing. So... Yes. No, Steve's great. It is amazing to me. And I met Dan Meyer at the Ohio Math Conference. He is an absolutely amazing man too. How does he have time to do all of these things? I asked him. He's like, well, I'm a good time manager. Well, I thought I was too until (laughs) 2 a.m. on Sunday and I'm still working on math stuff for school. Right. So, you know, my husband's like, well, set a timer. Well, then I don't fall asleep and I lay in bed and I think about the 30 things I have to do on Monday morning. Yeah, I can relate. Uh, I know that for the majority of my career, I definitely, I'll call it a struggle because I was very particular as well. Most people know me as a pretty easygoing guy, but when it comes to the way I did things in my classroom, I really liked doing things my own way. And that could be a good thing or it could be a really bad thing. I guess it really depends on how important the time is, like gaining a little bit more of your own free time, or whether could it possibly be that you enjoy using your free time to do that tinkering. And I know for me, I think it's maybe more the latter. That doesn't make it any better because I know that there's some times where I do things in a very particular way. And oftentimes afterwards, I lead that lesson and I scratch my head and go, wow, I spent a long time on that and that (laughs) did not go very well. Or, you know, it was an activity that literally took 10 minutes and I'm like, well, that clearly the payoff, the reward was not there for all of that, you know, the sweat and tears that I put into that. So but you, uh, um, Kyle, you would have enjoyed every minute of creating that activity. Like you said, it's you're viewing it. And I can concur because I do the same thing is that we're viewing it as our hobby to work on these things outside of class time. So when people say like, oh, how do you have time to do that? Well, there are people that do other hobbies. And I guess I just don't do that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I uh, I choose to work on creating 
creating math problems that I find interesting or activities that I, my students will benefit from or sharing resources on the blog page or doing what we're doing right now. Like I get a lot from that myself. So I make that choice. I prioritize that for myself to say like, I want to budget time to do this because I love doing it. But I do also have to budget time to spend with the family, like the phone goes away and the Internet's turned off during these times when the kids are at home and when it's time to sit down and watch a show with my wife on Netflix. So definitely a lot of prioritizing has to happen when we have so much we want to do. Also, kind of thinking about that prioritizing, like deciding what I think is going to make a difference. Like I'm wondering when you begin your planning are you giving yourself, are you allowing yourself that amount of like maybe reflection, we'll call it like pre-planning time to kind of think through like the big idea of your lesson tomorrow and, you know, what really matters. And I think everyone struggles with this. It doesn't matter if, you know, you enjoy doing the planning, like, you know, you might realize that, hey, wait, maybe it's because I like planning and that's why I dedicate so much time to it. But at the end of the day, though, if I can find a better way to think about what I'm hoping like the learning outcome is going to be tomorrow and really try to, you know, at least try to create sort of like two groups. I have all these ideas and I go like these ideas over here might actually have some sort of impact, like a, a positive outcome when I do them with my students. And maybe these ones over here, maybe they're not as important. And, you know, I know I'm leaving that very wide open right now, but, you know, oftentimes there's things that we tend to do. For example, is it worth it for me to format that handout differently than my colleague across the hall? Or was the way she had it formatted going to do and achieve the exact same thing? Like, could I take that time and dedicate it towards maybe something different, right? Like maybe the consolidation activity or whatever it is that you're planning. And I found one thing that helped me prioritize deciding where to invest that time in my planning was I realized like you, there was so many things I wanted to implement. And, and I'm a high school math teacher who teaches three different preps every semester. And so, you know, that's three different planning periods, three different courses. And when I'm deciding, do I want to do this activity or this activity? I saw this one on the internet. I want to try that. I bookmarked that one. I want to bring that in. I only have so much planning time to get that ready. I know that I'm going to have to make a sacrifice somewhere. And I started to say to myself, I'm going to pick one thing today that I can be proud of. I'm going to pick one thing that I'll learn how to do or I'll try in my classroom. And then that one thing, I'll either have that success in my back pocket. And then tomorrow I'll do another thing. I'll choose something else to learn or something else to try or maybe extend the thing I just tried and run with that for a little bit. After a while, you've got a pocket full of things that you've tried and pocket full of things that may work. And now all of a sudden your tool belt, you know, is a little bit bigger than it was before. And, you know, you sacrificed some other things. Like when you say yes, and I think, Kyle, we heard this quote, I can't remember where, but when you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. So when we want to say yes to all of those things, you're saying no to a lot of other things like your time. And so what I've been doing is saying no to other things so that I can say yes to one thing. And I, over time, it builds up and then you get, get better at these other things. And one thing to remember is that, you know, the downside of social media these days is, is that you have to remember that most people share only the good things happening in their lives, like on Facebook or in their classrooms, like on Twitter. So when you scroll, you, you know, you see everyone is always doing these amazing things and you're trying to catch up and you're really only seeing their best 20%. And you compare that to your worst 80%. And it's a no win situation when you do that. And so I was guilty of that. I was seeing, seeing all of those amazing things and I'm like, I got to do them all. But I had to step back and say, no, I'm going to do one thing. And I used to take a picture of it. I would take, here's the one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to run in my classroom and I'll take a picture of it. And we'll move on. That's the one thing I want to be proud of today. Tomorrow we'll do something different. Well, the question that I have is you had said, you know, when you have a, that you start to pick up one thing at a time and you start to fill your tool belt. And I think that's kind of my question. So, okay, so I have this tool belt and I'm full of things. You know, I start, I've made these escape the room activities. I have this great lockbox. My kids love these. I'm using three act tasks. I'm using hyperdocs. I'm doing these create your own activities. I'm using 
estimistries. I'm using quizzes. My kids are making their own. I'm using which one doesn't belong. My kids are doing solve mojis. I've got all of these great things. So I've picked up all these one things all the time. My tool belt is full. So then how do I prioritize from those things now? So how do I decide about those? That's a great question. I think, as you mentioned earlier, Nicole, when we were having a math mentoring moment with Nicole Martin, she was struggling with some of the same things. And I think it sounds to me, and this might be maybe jumping to a bit of a conclusion, but it sounds to me like, you know, you put a lot of weight on your shoulders, a lot of pressure on yourself to not only try to help your students do well on those test scores, like you had mentioned earlier, but it also sounds like you almost put a lot of pressure on yourself to be doing everything. And you know, the challenge with that and everything that you just named, and I'm sure those are, that's probably just, a, you know, some of them, I'm sure there's others that you haven't, those were just off the top of your head. In some ways, doing too much, that might actually work against you, not only against you in the classroom, like where maybe there's just so much going on that it can make it difficult for us to keep our eyes on the goal. And that goal obviously is going to vary from teacher to teacher, from school to school and so forth. But for me, what I've tried to do better, and I say I'm still trying, I, you know, definitely no expert here, but trying to think of what that learning outcome is for my lesson tomorrow or for the unit or for, you know, whatever it might be. And trying to really evaluate those different tools that you had mentioned to determine, are those tools going to help me achieve that goal? And I know for the longest time, I was big into technology, my whole like tap into teen minds, the name of that site came from me getting an iPad project, a grant from the government. And I had every kid was one to one with iPads. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, we found ways to do everything on the iPad. And, you know, at one point I had to stop and look and go, there's a lot of things that we're doing on these iPads that really aren't helping. And it might actually be hindering some of my student learning because it's like, great, we figured out how to do it. But I had lost sight maybe back then, maybe I never really had my sight on the true learning goal, the true learning intention. It was like a distraction. And uh, I'm not suggesting that's the case here, but like when we put so much pressure on ourselves and we don't do it intentionally, it can be really difficult. It could, you know, kind of cloud our vision a little bit. And sometimes it can make us sort of kind of sway away and, and kind of like, you know, veer off the path. And it sounds like from at least a student success or student achievement perspective, it sounds like, you know, you've been doing a lot of really good things. So, Sometimes I wonder if maybe we have to stop and think about, okay, you know, am I trying to get too much in here? And, you know, when's the right time for this tool and for that tool? And, you know, something we suggested for Nicole in that last conversation was really about maybe trying to get yourself some like, we'll call it like categories or groupings of these types of activities sort of are similar in nature. They help me get to a similar goal or similar outcome. So if I'm using one from this category, maybe I don't consider any of the others today, right? So it just kind of automatically shuts those down just for today. And then maybe tomorrow we go back into that trick bag or, you know, we'll call it the tickle trunk, right? The math tickle (laughs) trunk and pull this one out. Because in reality, if I'm just kind of jumping around from this tool to that tool, to this tool, to that tool, it could be not only overwhelming for me, but could be really difficult for me to sort of keep my head on straight and keep my head in the game. And for the students too, to see what's coming at them each day. But, uh, I wanted to bring up your memorable moment that you said at the beginning about, you know, how all you did was flip it around and asked one group of students to share their thinking and teach the other group of students and how easy of a plan that was for you and how much of an impact it had on the students. So like what Kyle said, it's you've got all these tools in your belt. Now it's time to focus on which tool is going to make the most impact for those students for that particular learning goal. And if you think about your memorable math moment there, like that was a great tool for that moment or that plan was great for that moment. And it doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be amazing. It was something that was the right for the kids at the right time. You got a lot of value out of that for the kids. You felt that too. So 
that's something that I've done too, is, is you've got all these things and now it's kind of narrowing down what is going to make the most impact for this particular learning goal. Right. That was notebook paper and a pe- and pencils. <laughs> there was nothing flashy about that at all. I'm so happy you made that point there, John. It totally went over my head, but you know, I'm just picturing in my mind, like sometimes those are the best math moments for students. And I wonder if even coming back to the making math moments, three-part framework might be maybe a place for you to start with sort of like strategizing what goes where, like, you know, we always talk about the sparking curiosity is a big part of our planning considerations and then the fueling sense making. So like the math idea here, John and I oftentimes go back and we mention that like we did all kinds of stuff with three act math tasks. And we tried to, you know, use a lot of these warm up activities like estimation 180 and all these different things. But, you know, the next part we didn't spend enough time paying attention to, and that was the fueling sense making. And we could fall into that activity trap of all these great ideas and they look really great on the surface. But if I didn't attend to that fueling sense making, which I didn't for the major, vast majority of my career, what I ended up doing was I taught rules and procedures, you know, right after. And like you, I saw some of my standardized test scores go down. And, you know, we also need to consider is that this is a different group of students. So if, you know, standardized test scores go down, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's anything I did. It's just a different group of students. So I hope one of the big messages here is to make sure that you don't put too much of that pressure on yourself and realizing that maybe I want to focus on that one thing for tomorrow, like one thing that's going to spark that curiosity, but then how am I going to pull the math out here and bring it into the open? So those are are big things for me. John, what are you thinking? Definitely. And I I just wanted to pose this question, Lisa, is like imagine three months from now and you made some changes to your schedule, your time management. What do you think that would look like for you three months from now? Like, what would you want it to look like? In my classroom or? Oh, like like you've said, you know, like your planning time is, is eaten up and it's eating into, you know, weekends and nights and family time. Like that's a big issue for you and all of us. If you could imagine kind of restructuring some of that to get some of that back after our conversation here today, like what would that look like for you? Once you think about that, I think the next question I'm going to ask is like, how are we going to get there? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. I think I'm going to plan my plan time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think I'm going to I think <laughs> I'm going to make a plan for my plan times. I get 40 minutes of plan time daily and unfortunately that falls in the last 40 minutes of my day. So, it's I'm usually pretty wiped out by the last 40 minutes of my day because as you can imagine, I don't really stop. I think I had 12,000 steps in by lunchtime today. I am not one who sits still, and I don't know if you can tell that by kind of, you know, the last 45 minutes worth of our conversation, but I'm not one who sits and lets the grass grow under my feet. I'm one who goes and I get things done. And I think, though, that I need to maybe have a plan for my plan time and maybe having a guaranteed thing that needs to be finished during that time. And I understand that things do come up during that 40 minutes. You know, my administrators may come in and I may have a meeting during that time, which is going to throw, you know, that 40 minutes is going to be out on that day. And, you know, a parent might call or an email might need to be attended to, or, you know, there are always going to be things that will come up during that 40 minutes. And it seems like that 40 minutes really only becomes like 15 by the time I do all the things I need to do housekeeping wise, like cleaning off the top of my table where things just kind of get thrown. Because again, I don't just 
sit at my desk. I just throw stuff there as the day goes on because I just don't have time to deal with it. And checking email because again, I don't look at email really from eight o'clock in the morning until almost four in the afternoon. So, you know, those things I have to take into account, but I think it takes me less time to clean off my desk and check my email than it does to recreate something or to do something that I need to find, like, you know, putting together part of a hyperdoc or finding a specific three-act task that I want and maybe setting a specific time limit and at least getting it started during that time limit. Like maybe Mondays, putting together like a skeleton of these are the things that I want to do. And then maybe each day of that week, putting together one piece of it so that on Sunday, I'm not so overwhelmed with starting from square one because I think that's my problem. I put it off until Sunday because typically I'm, you know, doing other things or busy or traveling with my family, you know, with my daughter or my son for their sporting events. And on Sunday, I finally get home and I finally get my schoolwork out and I think, oh my gosh, I've got so much to get done. So maybe if I have all those things started because I have a specific schedule Monday through Friday of things that I need to finish, maybe then if I have a good start on it, it won't seem so overwhelming by Sunday and maybe it won't be 12 to 14 hours worth of stuff that I'll have to work on on Sunday afternoons. That sounds like, yeah, like a great plan. And I was going to ask you what your biggest takeaway was from this conversation, but I feel like you did a great job articulating it. Was there anything else from the conversation today that sort of resonated with you? Maybe it's something, it could be something that you want to put into action right away, like the schedule you just articulated, or maybe it's something that, you know, you might have to take a little more time to reflect on. Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap up for today? I think I really want to look at how to categorize some of those things that I use like when you said to put them together into ways to use them like you know I'm not entirely sure how to like how do you categorize three act tasks because they're not really you know they go with a specific skill I have to really do some more thinking about that because you said you know what makes the most impact what tool would you use that works the best for that? So I have, like, I made a list of the things that I use. And so I guess trying to figure out how would I put those together into different categories so that I could say, well, today I want to use this or this week, maybe because I don't do it day by day. I usually do it for the week. So thinking about how I want to create a category for that, because I really am not sure how I need to do that. Like, I'm not sure what that means exactly. So I think thinking about that. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of, you know, kind of falling into that before moves when we talk about igniting teacher moves and thinking about how structurally things might look. And it can be just really, really rough on its edges. You know, John and I are big fans of whiteboards. (laughs) I have a huge one in my office at home and one at work as well, and always just fully loaded with all kinds of ideas as well. So, Well, this has been such a great conversation so far. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to spend with us and really to, you know, put all fear aside and just kind of come out here and share all your ideas wide in the open with all of us and all the listeners at home. So we're wondering, are we able to maybe follow up with you in maybe six to 12 months to just check in and see how things are going and possibly get you to come back on the podcast? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Awesome stuff. Oh, that's fabulous. Awesome stuff. Lisa, on behalf of both myself and Kyle, we definitely want to thank you for joining us here today. And we hope you got a lot out of this conversation. I know that we did. It definitely makes me think about my planning and you know, work-home-life balance. It's always great to think about those kinds of things for myself. So I thank you for bringing that up today. And thank you for spending time with me tonight. I appreciate it. I have a lot of things I want to think about now. So great. Thanks so much, Lisa. We look forward to staying in touch. And A, don't be a stranger in between. We'll bring it back on the podcast maybe six to 12 months from now. But in between, definitely uh, stay in touch. And hopefully we can continue this conversation. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, guys. You know, Kyle, speaking with math moment makers like Lisa here is so inspiring because like Lisa, all the teachers have been so brave, honest, and clear on what they need to improve on. I loved how near the end of the conversation, she developed a plan for herself to move forward and make changes to claim her 
life back. I completely agree, John. Sometimes it can be difficult to think things through on your own. So I think really all we did to help was just gave her a listening ear. And I think she managed to really craft that plan for herself. So if you're listening at home, make sure you're talking to your colleagues. Make sure that you're collaborating. Just throw those ideas out there in order to try to get yourself your own game plan in order to be the most effective teacher, but also maintain that balance in your life. This was another Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come where we'll have a conversation with a member of the Making Math Moments That Matter community like you who's been working through a challenge and together we'll brainstorm ideas and next steps to help you overcome it. If you want to join us on the podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode where you can share a big math class struggle, you can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each Monday morning, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 20. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 20. You can also find Make Math Moments on all social media platforms and seek out our free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K-12. through Don't miss our next episode where we'll chat with thinking classroom guru and the vertical whiteboard master himself, Peter Lilladal. But if you're not interested in waiting until then, why not watch our four-part video series to help build resilient problem solvers who don't want to stop learning when the bell rings. You can find that free four-lesson video series at makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one again that is makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one well until next time i'm kyle pierce and i'm john Orr. high fives for us and high fives for you If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.